Hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome to the well. Before you sit down, we want to make sure everyone knows that we're glad you're here. Glad you took the time to join us. And we have lots of new friends here. So if you don't know somebody around, you give them a hug or a high five, say hello. Say, I'm glad you're here. Introduce yourselves. This is our community. So how's everybody doing? Awesome, you made it through the rainy weekend. Had a Netflix binge, anybody? Yeah? So I have a question for you. I want to sort of jump right in tonight. I have a question for you is this. Is, have you ever sort of been in the midst of something like a big uh, project or a big season of your life where you just, at the end of it, just hit the wall and you didn't have anything left? Sort of like you can imagine, I use this example, like when you're at, I used to go to a Young Life camp and be on staff for a month or go for a week to Young Life camp and be the counselor for a bunch of students and I would just pour out and pour out and pour out and I'd get home from the bus trip back home and I'd get home and I would just be spent and I would like sleep for a day and a half recovering and sometimes I'd get sick because I'd poured myself out so much. You got, some of you guys have felt that when you've been a counselor at summer camp. Or some of you guys have done that with school, right? You push, 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 and you get done with something, and you're just like, I just can't go anymore. Some of you guys had that today when you ran in the marathon. Anybody run the marathon? All right. When you, like, want to hit the wall, and you're like, want to quit. I'm hurt. I heard it's around, like, mile 20. I have never run a marathon. I don't know if I ever will run a marathon. But I've heard around mile 20, it's tough. Is that true? Okay, yes. So what I want to talk to you tonight about is this. Is we are going to open up the scriptures into some passages in Exodus where we've been, where we've been reading about the life of Moses and looking for ideas from the life of Moses about Jesus and how Jesus also informs our life of faith. And then we're also going to look at some passages in the Gospel of John and some other places where both Moses and the Israelites and Jesus faced some difficult times where they had to figure out how they were going to respond. So let me just stop with that. Let me open the word from book of Exodus chapter 17. This is what it says. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin or Sin and traveling from place to place the Lord commanded them to go. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses. And they said, Give us water to drink. And Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. And they said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? And then Moses cried out to God, to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. 
The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take with your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And I will stand there before you at, by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place where they were, where this happened, Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, now turning to the Gospel of John in the New Testament. We're going to see some challenging moments in the life of Jesus. If you, John chapter 8. Jesus is in this long litany about who he is and what he's about. And then Jesus says this, starting in verse 54 of chapter 8. He says, Jesus replied, and I'm skipping a lot, but I'm getting to the core. So Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced and thought of seeing my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. And the people responded, the leader, You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Like, Abraham lived a long time ago. How do you know him? Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. And at this word, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So, so far you've got two incidents where people want to stone either Moses or Jesus. And now turning in chapter 10. Of, of the Gospel of John. It says in verse 29 of chapter 10 where Jesus is in this long litany about him being a shepherd and the people being a sheep and about the unbelief of the Jews. He says, my father has given them to me. <laughs> Let me start from the verse before. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And again, the Jews picked up stones to stone Jesus. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father, for which, the, for which of these do you try to stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So tonight, I want to sort of enter into this idea of learning from Moses and learning from Jesus about these difficult moments. Because if you turn back to the book of Exodus, where we were talking about God's people, when they were out in the desert, in God's wilderness training school, you remember that over the past couple of weeks, as we've been studying the life of Moses and God's journey, taking his people from bondage to slavery, out to be free and to be his people, God has been continually providing and providing for the people. The ten plagues, the first Passover, the deliverance out of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, all those things were now behind the Israelites. They had happened. They'd seen God provide miraculously for them. And they had complained about the bitter water at a place called Marah. And Moses had cried out there, and he provided, and he made the water sweet. And the people then later, while they're journeying through the wilderness, as God's trying to train them and teach them that he wants to be their bread, and that he wants to be their living water, that he wants us to live by his word and not by any other word. The people cried out, and they grumbled. And in chapter 16, they grumble about not having any bread, and the Lord is merciful to them again in their grumbling in the bread in the wilderness, both providing the manna and later the quail. But now as we turn into Exodus chapter 17, this kind of groaning and complaining is happening again in God's people. And they were effectively in this moment putting God on trial or putting Moses on trial. And as God's representative, you sort of get back. If they're challenging Moses, then at the same time, they're sort of challenging God who... Moses derived his authority from. Here at this place called Rephidim, the people are not just thirsty. They're really hopping mad. They're upset. They're at the end. They're done. They're hitting the wall emotionally, physically. They're thirsty. And spiritually, they've been seeing God provide, but now that there's not even any water to see, they're sort of done. And it says that the people quarreled with Moses and they grumbled at him. And they sort of mis, mis, misused him and abused him sort of verbally. And Moses is sort of standing up in the midst of that, a little bit disheartened. And he's wondering, really seriously, are they going to stone me? Are they going to kill me? And they question Moses' leadership. Like, Moses, do you even have the, why did you bring us out here? And they question his faults. And they question his ability and his character and his morality. And they just sort of say, this kind of rebellion against Moses after all those things that Moses had done. They revolt against Moses and question God's ability to be with them. If you think about it, it says this. In the last verse, chapter in the verse 7 of 17 it says they tested the lord saying is the lord among us or not that's what's going on here in this place that was called the rephidim 
they are significantly challenging God and challenging Moses at a different level than has happened before. Even though it seems like we've been there again and again in this desert journey that God's trying to teach his people about what it means to follow him and trust him and be his people and he would be their God. This was so significant, this moment, that they renamed the place. And they called it Masah and Meribah, which means, Masah means testing, and Meribah means quarreling. It means that this was a significant moment where they really challenged God. And I keep wondering, this is where I'm going now in this thing. There's a lot of things to learn in this passage, but this is the angle that I want to take with you tonight, is how does Moses keep it together when these thousands of people are challenging him? How do you stand up against that? How do you respond to such an intense challenge? It doesn't seem that he freaked out, but he kept enduring somehow, and he kept somehow calling the people back. Moses somehow had this God-given, God-developed ability to stand firm in the midst of the challenges, and he was able to lead the people back and able to represent God to the people in such a way when he faced this kind of opposition. And I keep wondering, how does he do that? And how can I become like that a little bit more? And that makes me jump forward to our passages that are in the Gospel of John. You see Jesus, who is living on this earth and teaching people and, and performing miracles in his human form and leading the people. But as he faced opposition, when Jesus tried to tell people the truth about himself, tried to reveal about his relationship with the Father, people wouldn't hear it and they rose up this was not according to what they understood the scriptures to teach. And so as, they, as Jesus told them that he was God, that before Abraham was, I am, that in the same way that God revealed himself to Moses as I am in the burning bush, Jesus says, I'm the same. I am, before Abraham was, I am. And that would immediately set off buzzers for the people saying, what? Jesus is saying he's the same as the God who revealed himself as I am or Yahweh, the word which the Hebrew people wouldn't even speak. Jesus is comparing himself to that, and Jesus somehow remains steadfast in the midst of that challenge. And when Jesus is revealing himself as the true shepherd, and Jesus has revealed himself that he and the Father are one, he remains steadfast, even though the people want to stone him in the same way that they wanted to stone Moses when they were thirsty. So my question to you tonight is this. How do we grow that ability like Moses did to stand against the challenges that came to his leadership? How do we stand in those difficult moments when the crowd shifts back and forth one moment praising God, one minute cursing God. How do we live like Moses or Jesus? 
standing in the, firm in the midst of the challenges that you and I face. When I was getting ready for this week, I asked some of the program team, who are the student leaders who sort of help us shape our messages and put the services together. I asked them, so how do you, how do you feel like this is when you're living in your life here at Grand Valley, being a college student in America, in Michigan, at Grand Valley, how do you wrestle with trying to stand firm in the midst of the challenges that you face? And let me walk through some of those with you. One of those stories came out about family, what Shelby just told us about, where when you're trying to faithfully follow after God, after what Jesus is doing in your life, and your family members aren't on the same page, non-believers, or in some ways very nominal believers, and you're trying to passionately respond to Jesus and his call on your life, and you sort of have to stand alone against your family. Some of you have that. That's a dynamic you live with, a tension. How do I stand firm when my family's not on the same page? Some of you don't, and you should rejoice that your family is together in following God in that community. But that's a real challenge. And there's many nuances of that, I know. But there's a deeper challenge for also some of us as we live out our faith in our culture in America, in our postmodern culture, in campus, in the tolerant environment where anything goes and the only thing that doesn't go is to tell somebody else that their thing doesn't go, that is our culture on campus. What does it look like when you're standing in the midst of your community? I'm sure many of you know lots of different people on campus and the beauty of a college campus is the many different kinds of people that live and go to school here and it makes for a rich interaction in college, but it can be hard because there's competing worldviews. Is God in the center or something else in the center? And you guys know this in the classroom. Because if we admit it to ourselves, if we admit it that Christianity sort of moved off the center in our culture. It used to be when I was growing up, it felt like maybe Christianity was a little bit closer to the center, but now, a number of years later, it seems like the culture sort of has shifted a little bit and it's not in the center in the same way it was. Maybe that's good. Maybe there's some things that are not so good about that, but it's not such an easy conclusion. But our greater culture, most likely, I, I read something this week, the current worldview, if you're not in the Christian subculture, is, is that Christianity is probably either a little bit irrelevant, like just sort of a private thing that people do, shouldn't really inform our greater life or anything else, or it's sort of extremes for radical people and not for normal people. And we struggle. How do we stand as followers of Jesus, as faithful followers of Jesus, in our compromised, changing culture? It's complicated. You guys know what this feels like in the classroom. You've had a professor, perhaps, who's made an outright challenge to Christianity. Christianity's not true. It can't hold up to the facts. Or it's for weak people who need a crutch. Or sometimes you get the more subtle attacks from your professor. 
I, I want to read this. I didn't read it last service, but I, I want to read it this one. This is a quote that Justice Antonin Scalia, who was the Supreme Court Justice, who was uh, just completely respected by many as a traditional judge. He passed away a few years ago, or last year. This is what he said when he was speaking to the Knights of Columbus in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He said this, God assumed from the beginning that the wise of the world would view Christians as fools. And he has not been disappointed. If I have brought any message for you today, it is this. Have the courage to have your wisdom regarded as stupidity. Be fools for Christ and have the courage to suffer the contempt of the sophisticated world. That's a Supreme Court judge, one of the smartest people probably any of us would ever know or hear of, saying, have the courage to suffer the contempt of the sophisticated world in your following of Christ. But we live in this tension. All right, so we're talking about how do we deal with this tension of standing firm in the midst of challenges, in the midst of trials, in the midst of struggles and, and people challenging what we believe. Now I'm going to take it a step closer. Let's think about how we wrestle in our own community. Right? We have our companions, those people we run with on campus. And we have this tension between falling into the comfort of our comfortable Christianity, sometimes we call it the West Michigan bubble, sort of a whatever you want to call it, that versus staying on fire for God, stepping out in faith, taking a risk, being totally abandoned, all in for Jesus, all in with God. And sometimes the question goes like this in our minds, probably not articulated out loud, but said in our minds, how far can I stray away from God without getting burned? How close can I get to the world without falling off the edge? Rather than saying, how can I more fully draw close to God, more fully engage in this time, and be passionate and on fire for God? <clears throat> you know the struggle. How do I stand firm in the midst of the crowd? versus conforming to the crowd. And all of us live in different circles and go from one circle to the next. And are you similar or not? Sometimes we have to count the cost of maybe being mocked or losing some social standing or getting socially isolated, experiencing attacks, whether they be mockery or um, sarcasm or different things. Attacks on our character, that sort of hurt. I read in Getting Ready for This Week an article from Christianity Today where this girl in Bloomington, Indiana was at her school, in high school, and she felt like the Lord was nudging her to start this group called Cougars for Christ. <laughs> it's not what you think. <laughs> Their high school mascot was a cougar. All right, we needed some levity, so we're good. 
so. And she felt, she's like, she, she started the group on campus, and she started, this was not her normal deal, and so she started the group on campus, and she started to get some traction, and the Lord started to work in people, and the group formed and got some momentum. But then she started to get mocked by her peers. They even went so far as to form another group called Cougars for Communism. And they challenged her right to have the group and to use some of the school facilities. And the school got into this big debate about what can we do for each group and how do we treat them equally in some of the church-state debate that we live in. But she experienced a lot of challenge and a lot of persecution, subtle or not so subtle. And she just kept enduring. And eventually the Cougars for Communism group sort of lost its way and sort of disbanded because they didn't really have any pro-purpose except for just sort of standing in the way of the Christian group. And she sort of just counted the cost and said, you know what, I'm willing to endure that. I believe God called me to do this, so I'm going to do this, stand against the flow of what's going on in my school. And sometimes that's what we struggle with. How do we stand firm in the midst of a culture that's not always open to Christianity expressing itself in the public square? And let me go one step closer. Because I would be wrong if I made it seem like this battle to stand firm against wavering and against different things was all out there on the outside. Because we know it's on the inside too. It's our struggle with our old nature or our sinful nature. Right? One of the students described it as this, that we need to stand firm in our new life. We need to stand firm in what God is doing, what God is doing by his grace, his gift of grace in our life against our own brokenness. Right? We have the temptation to go back to our old habits, our old ways, our old rebellions, our old wayward behavior versus having a passion for Christ and a fight for purity and a fight for wholeness. And that's a battle all of us have. That battle has been won by Christ's death and his resurrection on the cross. But we live in the time before Christ is going to fully complete things where we still struggle with sin even though the battle has been won. And what we need to do and what we struggle to do is live firm in our new life. If we're honest, in Scripture, it says we're all prone to wander. Me too. And we need to sort of just say, is how can God continue to kill the old in me and help me to forge ahead into new territory in this new life that God is making and growing me and giving me the power to live? That's some of the struggles. That was a pretty long list, but I'm trying to give you the complete sense of what this struggle is. And let me give you a picture. And this is something I want you to reflect about. 
And this is it. On one side, there's a thermometer. The other side, there's a thermostat. A thermo both of them deal with temperature, but quite differently. A thermometer reads the temperature of a room or outside and adjusts. Right? The little mercury goes up and down, or the red liquid, whatever it is. It goes up. When the room's hot, it goes up. When the room's cold, it goes down, and it reads the temperature of the room and adjusts. A thermostat is placed in a room, and if you set it to a temperature, if you put it to a temperature, it's going to change the temperature of the room with the HVAC that's connected to it. And I wonder, as you live out your life right now in college, as you seek to follow after Christ, which one would be more true of you? Are, when it's hot for Christ and things are going and people are praising God and worshiping Him fully, are you on? But when it gets cold, are you like off and like, other places, or cursing him, or forgetting about him? Or are you trying to set the temperature of the places you're at by calling people to Christ and pointing to him and loving in his name and bringing God where you go instead of reading the room and either bringing him or leaving him? That's a good question. So as we think about this today, here's what I want to do. I just want to talk about this struggle and how do you and I learn from Moses, learn from Jesus in the way that they responded to the temptation and the struggle that they had. Now here's the thing. Let's look to Moses, back to Moses' life in chapter 17 of Exodus. The first thing that Moses did, which we can learn from, is that he stood firm in prayer. Right? When the Israelites were talking and complaining and quarreling, who were they talking to? They talked to Moses, but they more talked at Moses, accused him and challenged him and did that. They never, it doesn't ever say that they ever turned towards God and brought that lament or that quarrel or that struggle to God. They just brought it at Moses. But Moses modeled a different way. He didn't take the people on and talk to them back. When the going got tough, he turned towards God. And for us as followers and as leaders for Christ, we need to follow that model and say, when I'm in the midst of the battle, when I'm in the midst of the struggle to stand firm, when I'm in the midst of a challenge that I don't know if I can handle, I need to pray. Because prayer is where we let God work. And we need to seek answers from the one. Prayer is one of the ways that we abide with God. And, and we can learn from Moses' example to say, how can I turn to God in the midst of challenges and lean and depend upon his fellowship, his relationship with me? to speak into the difficult situations that I face? Can we follow Moses in turning towards God? Because one of the things that happens when we're in prayer is that we get humbled. And we let go of our control of the situation and lay it at the foot of the cross or lay it at the feet of Jesus. 
And maybe that's something that you and I need to do. Instead of responding, trying to control a situation or take control or get out of a situation, I need to lay it down before God in prayer. So Moses prayed. Why did he pray? He prayed because he knew God was the one who was faithful in this moment. And he knew that God was going to provide a way to provide him from the difficulty. I love this quote, and it speaks to why we need to pray in the difficult, is that courage, and we're asking for courage in the midst of these difficult situations where we struggle to stand firm. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. And will that be true of me and you when we face those challenges? All right, second thing is that Moses and Jesus stood firm with a proper perspective. And what do I mean by that? Right? When the Israelite people were in, the, in Massah and Meribah, in that place where they were quarreling and struggling with God, they lost sight of their bearings. Forgot all that stuff that had just happened, the awesome miracles that most of us wish we had seen ourselves. And they doubted the loving presence of God and they doubted his presence and his provision among them. But somehow Moses had the ability to stand firm. You see, Moses and, Moses and Jesus, in a different way, both had been prepared for this moment. They'd gone through times of preparation where they were prepared in difficult times for future difficult times, right? Moses had been trained in Egypt, then he was for 40 years. God didn't take him when he was at his prime at 40 years old. He let him learn to be a shepherd in the, out in the desert and in the wilderness for 40 years. And then when he'd been humbled with the same skills, then God used him to lead the people out of Egypt. And Jesus had been tested in different ways. So they'd been prepared in an earlier time for this moment. And what I want to say to you is right now, in college, you guys, God has a purpose for what you're going through. Most of us, there's a, probably a lot of us that would love to just skip college and go serve God. Right? Just skip right over it. I was in that place when I was a junior. I went to a conference called Urbana, which was for missionaries. I wanted to go to Europe and be a missionary with a youth ministry called Young Life and work with international schools and do that. And I talked to them, and they're like, well, complete your degree first. Done. You know what? God can use moments and in the moments of preparation that you're in college is a time of preparation it's not just around the classroom college is a time of preparation if you can live out your faith here you can live out your faith anywhere because this is one of the hardest places to live out your faith with all the competing cultures that are in college this is one of the best mission fields you're ever going to live in in your whole life So God wants to use what you're going through now. So 
have that kind of perspective. Stand firm in the perspective that God has a purpose and God can use. That doesn't make everything right. There's some difficult things that happen in my life that I still don't have the answer for, but I know that God used them to grow me. If you don't know, I'll just mention it briefly, is my dad, when I was 13, got Alzheimer's. When I was 13, and he was 51, so he was my age right now. And that was the hardest thing I've ever been through. But God taught me. I don't have all the answers yet, but God used that season to train me and to grow me and to humble me and prepare me. Because you know what? As God prepares us and gives us the right perspective to know that whose we are and who we are, that we are in Christ, that we are in him, that we are God's, that we are his children, God uses that knowledge, that proper perspective to help us go against the flow because going against the flow is always hard. Too often we do everything we can to fit in with our surroundings because of the fear of rejection. But when you know whose you are and who you are, you can have power to stand against. All throughout the Bible, there's lots of places in the Bible where it talks about standing firm. And we come across scripture after scripture after scripture where it says God is telling his people not to be afraid when they're faced with adversity and trials. Think of Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Isaiah Paul, different people. The foundation of the confidence, their perspective was, you know what? I'm confident because I know God is with me. And this is what Jesus said when he lived. He said, we have been given that same promise for Christ himself has said in John 14, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we have the ability to stand firm when we have a proper perspective. We can confidently trust that God is with us and that God can handle and that God's truth and love can sustain us. All right, last thing. You guys have been awesome. Is that when we stand firm, we need to stand on the rock and keep our eyes on the rock. And here's what I mean. Let me go back and finish the story in Exodus. It says this, The Lord answered Moses, so Moses obeys God, and he says, Walk ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and stand there before you. I will stand there before you by the rock. Strike the rock, and the water will come out of it for the people to drink. So the Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And they called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled with the Lord. You know what? Moses and God gave this incredible picture. It says, hey, you want to get through this difficult moment? Go stand on the rock. And I'm going to provide the life and the water that you need from the rock. And Paul later in 1 Corinthians 10 says this, about that time in the desert. He says, you drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So it's an incredible picture of what God wants to do. He wants, when you're facing struggle, when you're facing how to stand firm in a difficult culture, God wants to be your rock. He wants to be your redeemer. He wants to be your center. 
And when you keep your eyes on him, not on the trouble, not on the challenge, not on the obstacle, not on those who are quarreling with you, that's how you make it through, by setting your feet on the rock. If you want to jump and think about Jesus, Jesus had the same kind of thing in this, is that Jesus stood firm. It says in Luke 9.51, when Jesus was living out his life on this planet, and he was about to face tons of opposition and go to the end of his life where he was going to give up his life as a ransom for many by his life and his death and his resurrection. It says, when the days knew jeer, sorry, <clears throat> when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus knew what God had called him to do. He knew that it wasn't just about the miracles, it wasn't just about the bread, it was about what he needed to accomplish on the cross. So as you're facing different things in your life, as you're facing this complicated maze called college and living faithfully for Christ in that confusing maze, I hope that you can turn to Jesus and that you can keep your eyes upon him this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So hear, the, hear this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now this should be encouraged, encouragement to all of us. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus gives us an example of how to withstand the challenge and stand up under the struggle. The last thing I want to say tonight is this. I was preparing this message and the Psalm 62 kept coming to me and coming to me and it's going to be spoken about in the songs that we sing. When we face challenges, we need to know what our foundation is, what our rock is, who our center is. And Psalm 62 speaks of this, and I want you to just read it with me and think about it. How does this apply to your life? Is this true of you? Is this true of your heart? So let me read it, and then we'll pray. And we'll sing in to the songs we sing with prayers that this would be true of us. This is what it says in Psalm 62. Truly my soul finds rest in God and my salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress and I will never be shaken. This is speaking of his enemies. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down the leaning wall and this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from the lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but through their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul will find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock. 
and my salvation. He is my fortress and I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock and my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. And my prayer for you tonight is, is as I'm talking, is that true for you? Is Jesus the rock that your life is built on? Is Jesus your deliverer, the one who sets you free? If it's not, it can change tonight with a prayer where you receive the gift of grace from Jesus. And I'll be here afterwards to pray with anybody who'd like to pray with me. But your foundation, if you don't know how you're going to face tomorrow, if you don't know how you're going to face what you're facing, your foundation can change tonight by claiming Jesus as your rock. And I pray that all of us would be reminded of God's empowering love, his enduring love, and his sustaining power to help us build our lives on the rock to stand firm in the midst of the challenges that we face. That's my hope for you, that you can stand firm in Christ's enduring love. Will you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, tonight we admit that we live in a complicated culture and we don't always know how to live, but our desire is to be faithful witnesses for you. We want to be a light and a salt in the world, and we want you to equip us to be our rock. You are rock, and you're, you would be our redeemer. So Lord, tonight I pray that you'd challenge us where we need to let things die and encourage us where we need to let things live. And I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would help some of us respond to let you be the foundational rock of our life this day and every day forward. That you would be our redeemer, the one that sets us free from our sin by your life and your death and your resurrection. Lord, may, may you equip us to be your people this day and every day by your power that is at work within us. May you be our rock and our refuge. And we pray it in the precious name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.